So how was uh, Vader Immortal the other night? Oh my gosh, it was, yeah, so funny that you say that because Matt's been like, you have to play this game, you have to play this game, you have to play this game. And I'm like, I don't, I, okay, okay, I'll, I'll play the game. And so, VR, uh, right? I, well, yeah, it is, it is. And it's crazy because like, what the Vader's like 6'3 or something like that, 6'2. And it's like in scale with the VR headset, you're like, this dude is huge. <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, no kidding. Like, yeah. Get, Vader is really yeah, fucking tall. <laughs> well, that's the thing too about VR. That's wild. It's like the graphics are not kind of as good, but at the same time, because you're fully immersive, your your brain just gets used to it super fast. Yeah. And then it's bizarre having people right next to you, you know, as the same size as you. You know, sometimes people get in your face and it's super intimidating, but it's really fun playing with the lightsaber. Like the second episode, you got to learn the force pull. And then like, because the controller is kind of like a lightsaber handle, it feels pretty awesome. And you just wave it around a bunch too. And it makes all the vroom, vroom, vroom noises. That's pretty cool. Speaking of which, um, you know, I don't know if you uh, just, I don't know if you've been following this or not, but are you picking up any of the new uh, Xbox consoles in the fall? Because they just now they had their Series X, obviously that they announced, but they're they announced their officially the Series S. It's like three hundred bucks. It's technically a, a sort of a different console, but it seems pretty affordable. Yeah, you know, to be fair, I have no idea. I'm about to start school, like you know, I'm gonna have a lot of stuff going on. So ah, I mean, I haven't even thought about the new consoles or what. You know, I'm I don't know. It's a it's a gamble too, because I was even thinking about possibly you know getting the PlayStation Five, because now everybody that I know, you know, primarily are PlayStation users. That's funny. Yeah. I mean, you definitely, uh, you know, you wouldn't be alone. You wouldn't be alone in that. I mean, I'm certainly picking up the PS5, you know, maybe not a launch depending uh, because Xbox, you know, they announced that they are having like financing. So like with the Xbox Series S, I think you can pay like if you're approved, uh, you pay like $35 a month with no interest, which is insane. You know, especially for this time, you know, of that's going on in the world right now. <laughs> so, um, yeah, well, I mean, I guess, you know, hashtag play more games. But, you know, there actually is for this bullshit boulevard, there actually is one thing that I wanted to start with because I really wanted your opinion on this because you have no shame in being an asshole. And I'm curious to know <laughs> that if you think this particular subject um, fits that category. But do you think we should probably just get this episode started now? Yeah, yeah. Why don't we go ahead and get this started? This is bullshit. America's leading industry is still the manufacture, distribution, packaging, and marketing of bullshit. Um, welcome to the Necessary Bullshit Podcast. Uh, this is Bullshit Boulevard. You know, we do these episodes every once in a while when we're, you know, just in the middle of jerking off. As Josh was telling me <laughs> yes. earlier, he's just like, of I course. had nothing better yeah, to nope. do. Um, <laughs> yep, that's exactly what that's exactly what I said. 100% yeah, verbatim. Right, yeah. So my name is Ian Savage. I'm the philosopher in the room, otherwise known as the person who makes everybody miserable. And Josh, uh, how are things going over there? <laughs> yeah, I'm Josh Simpson, and I'm the thespian. I know that Ian likes to introduce himself and skip over me. It's okay. Um, <laughs> but um, you no, know, it's going. Room. Yeah, it's going good. I mean, most people don't know this, but the Oregon, it's like uh, the fires are going on, and it's pretty crazy. But you know, it's it was actually pretty wild. I uh, just the other day, I did some volunteer work at the at uh, Springfield High School, which is now of course the. You did. Um, <laughs> shut up. It was, it was like, I made some sandwiches and dropped off some food and hand out some food. And, but it was like, uh, you know, I was talking to one of the program directors and he was like, oh, this has just happened organically. And, you know, it's like the community just came together and started working together. And, and right now they're like one of the first and only ones in Oregon that is like a relief center. So people from across Oregon that are, you know, suffering from all the various fires have actually centralized there and their operation has expanded. It was wild. So for me, I said, I, it's, it's difficult the the circumstances of, of the context, but it was nice seeing the community work together, you know? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I, I, I can imagine it's definitely nice for you to see that come together, but no, I mean, all joking aside, it's definitely, it's pretty actually intense. I mean, where I'm at, I'm in Bend um, and in central Oregon. And as if people aren't familiar, it's it's in the middle of the state. That's where we call it central Oregon, but it's sort of in this, I don't want to say perfect pocket because we are getting a lot of the smoke from the fires, but we don't have any like fires near us, fortunately. But I mean, the other day, you know, I was working, I, I drive for a living uh, and I mean, I couldn't see the sun 
you know, all day, <laughs> you know, like maybe a little bit in the morning and a little bit in the afternoon, but it was just red. And, you know, it's a little, I don't want to say nerve wracking, but it's just like, Jesus Christ, like what more could go wrong? You know, well, for me though, like- I, I don't know if you've seen the comparisons, but people are comparing, like comparing the way that the ambiance looks in Oregon with, uh, with Blade Runner. Um, yeah, they're doing because, the same thing in like California as well. Yeah, it's pretty nice. Right, exactly. So I figured you'd see that. However, you know, as much as and tragic as that is, there was one thing I wanted to bring up before we <laughs> in the in the little like soft open <laughs> that we, we do for these episodes. Yeah. Yep. And this is gonna be way off topic. <laughs> so this is gonna be funny. Here we're talking about the fires and community, and I'm gonna switch to this. So the other day, you know, I was talking with somebody that I never knew before, and the it, what always comes up is what do you do for hobbies? You know, what, mm. what is it that you do in your, in your oh, free sure. time? Yeah. And, and I don't know why, and maybe this is just my overthinking or it's in my own head, but I feel such like a pretentious like person to be like, well, I, I happen to do a podcast, you know, and I know well, that I don't, that that <laughs> I know, but no, I'm just like, oh, I do a podcast. I'm like, oh, that's cool. What's it about? And you're like, oh, I'm like, oh shit. How am I supposed to explain to this person, Ian? Um, you know, there's no way I don't have time to do that effectively in just a short span. <laughs> and you don't want to tell them just listen to a random episode because they'd be like, Jesus Christ, this person is a psychopath. <laughs> right. <laughs> or not only that, though, but I'm just like, you know, we're not everybody's cup of tea. I understand that. Like we we talk about all sorts of crazy oh, sure. different things. And I was like, and I was like, here, you should check out a religious, a religion series. Mwah. No, but it, every time I say that, you know, people interpret it. And sometimes people that I know, every time I see them, they're like, I am so sorry that I didn't, I didn't get a chance to listen. I'm like, that's totally okay. You know, you listen if right. you can and you can't listen. That's totally fine. You don't I'm have to not, apologize I'm not to expecting me. to like all nearly 8 billion people on the planet to listen to our podcast. That would be amazing. Uh, but <laughs> I don't, I don't think that's ever going to happen anytime soon or ever. Right. And so, yeah. So again, for these, for these episodes, just kind of getting more personal and having us like just kind of riff here for a second. Do you feel also that level of pretentiousness when you, when you say that you have a podcast or do you have no shame and you just tell everybody and you even have your own business <laughs> cards now that you just hand out? <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't, I, do, I certainly don't have my own business cards, nor do I tell everybody, but you know, if it comes up, I tell people and I have no problem you know, saying it, I, I almost view this podcast as like a, a virtual second job that we, that we don't get. Well, I guess we technically bit, get paid for from our beautiful one patron whom I don't even remember their name, but we appreciate you nonetheless for giving us $2. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, that's great. You're making a great sales pitch. You know, we're making a great sales pitch. Hey, we, we need more Patreon subscribers. And I promise we're going to love you, even though we're not going to even take the time to learn your name. <laughs> right. You know, but I mean, I will say though, I mean, we have been having a, a steady stream of subscribers to the podcast not necessarily to the patreon and so i actually just want to take this second right here now to shout every all the you new uh subscribers out because yeah, good idea it's Let's pretty do amazing it. yeah, because it's pretty awesome yeah and you know also too i mean i was just telling josh this before uh before we started recording um our nihilism episode still i mean still amazingly popular for some reason it's at about 200 downloads which is you know not a lot compared to some of the bigger podcasts you know where they're getting millions of downloads per episode but the fact that People are for some reason hungry for that type of content and it just draws them in. You know, maybe it's a combination of the title and the way the things that we talk about within that episode. I don't you know, I just don't know, but I'm really. Well, I mean, I don't know. know, And a lot of the Pacific Northwest is on fire right now. So like it's 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 it seems there's a lot of nihilism in the air. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like it's uh, considering to be prevalent, but no, it's definitely is. uh, It's definitely fun. And like for us, you know, you have to start somewhere in your building. So for us to have an episode hit the 200 download mark, like that's your first little milestone. That's like the pebble and building the foundation of whatever the hell it is that we're trying to fucking do here. I know. Yeah. And I mean, it is, you know, we have only been doing this for, you know, barely two years, you know, almost two years. And, you know, we're just, we're, we're just heading steady, you know, going along here. And I mean, you know, though, to answer, you know, I guess to further answer your question, I mean, you know, when people, when, when the, when the topic comes up that it's like, I do a podcast with somebody, it's most of the time, I guess the reason why I don't feel pretentious about it is because most of the time when I mention it to someone, they're almost always very interested, or at least they, you know, come, they want to come across as interested. Like, Oh, cool. What's your podcast about? What do you do? Cause I think podcasts are fairly ubiquitous. Now, most of all mm-hmm. my, uh, coworkers, you know, as I said, uh, mentioned earlier, like I drive for work, almost all my coworkers are listening to podcasts while they work because it just makes the day go by so much faster or, or it at least makes the day more interesting that way. And so it's a really common 
thing to talk about like, Oh, you know, what, what did podcast you listen to? I mean, I remember when I, you know, first started training there, uh, you know, the person who was training me, you know, she was asking me about my podcast, the kind of things that we, uh, talk about. And it's actually funny. I think Josh, you and I actually have a bit of an advantage with us. I don't want to say being on the opposite sides of, of the political aisle, because I know we at times drift back and forth, you know, so it doesn't really make sense to talk about it in that way. But when talking about the content of our episodes, I find it especially easy to talk about it over here where I live, because there are a lot of conservative people here. And so uh, you know, just by, you know, happenstance of geography. And so when I talk about some of our content, I'm like, oh, we talk about, you know, political correctness, things that might be going on wrong with the left. You know, I've, I've mentioned the, our Antifa. Well, I guess we didn't have a, a strict Antifa episode, but that episode on liberalism where we talked about Antifa in the beginning. And I sort of, you know, I talk about my own problems with, you know, the woke left and all that BS that I've complained about a million times. And I get a lot of uh, sympathetic responses to that. And I can imagine that you being in Eugene, you know, some of the people that you talk about our content now, granted, Eugene is sort of in the middle as far as conservatives and, and, and progressives, but I can imagine that. I you mean, you're not wrong because how I pitch, how I pitch our podcast is that they just go, what's your podcast about? And I go, do you want to see me destroy a neo-Nazi? Boom. Every episode. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is you're you're the one going to get me canceled. Uh, but <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah, no. But so here's the thing, though. I mean, I I understand what you're saying. Like, I could pick I could pick out a few things, but initially, I think you're saying nice things. However, I am going to call you an asshole, and I'm going to tell you why. Um, you're an asshole because like you, you literally said before. that you were going to. Well, I know that, but you said that you were going to shout out some of our subscribers, and then you just breezed right past oh, that Jesus. and didn't say well, any let names. Me, let me just, yeah, let me just shout them out right now. Then, sorry, <laughs> I, I meant saying. just to shout them out in general, but I, you know, I suppose I could speak about some of them. You know, so there's, uh, t- I'm uh, again, I'm going to just be upfront here. I apologize if I butcher your names because I can only see your Gmails. I'm not going to, I'm not going to say out, you know, people's email addresses. By the way, but uh, Taz Pugalese. I'm sorry again, uh, Joan, uh, WWLK. Um, <laughs> I'm again, sorry. Uh, Carrie. No, she- I mean, we just get emails. We're also trying to protect. Yeah. Uh, we're trying to pre- protect the level of yeah, privacy exactly. here. I get you. Uh, bite this William walk. Uh, there was somebody at Hilton management, uh, started subscribing to us. Um, nice. Yeah. So, uh, those are, there was, some of the earlier, Oh, and, uh, uh, black angel. Um, yeah, we re- we really appreciate nice. you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we do. We really do. And it's it's always fun seeing subscribers. And I like I like Hilton management because that what we're gonna do is actually cats out of the bag. We're working on a deal. We're gonna be the new elevator music. It's gonna be great. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> oh god, I can't even imagine that. Like well what's fun yeah, is that like podcast some of some of our episodes, I mean it's gotta be in like really high rise hotels because some of our podcasts, you know, the the topics that we talk about, I mean, jo- I know Josh and I both personally have gone off on tangents that last upwards of seven to eight minutes on our own. So like having a two minute elevator ride, I'm sure isn't, uh, isn't conducive to that sort of experience. I mean, it would be really interesting to just like hop into an elevator and hear, uh, you know, hear you ranting about how great socialism is. And so, you know, it just, it just <laughs> doesn't like, work for me. Or, or for me, my mind goes the, how, how does that even work? Like, does it restart? Does it like continue? Like, is it just a continuous it's stream? Like what I walk direct into stream, the... like episode one to like episode current. And that's why right, we have what to I'm turn saying is like what I walk, what I walk into the elevator and all I hear is like me going like, wow, Ian, you're really fired up with that passage. And I'm like, well, what did he say? You know, <laughs> especially if you're Not, coming see, into it's the great marketing, right? Because like, because, you know, every, you know, periodically every five to 10 minutes, there would be a break. It's like, and you're listening to the necessary bullshit podcast. And then like people are like, oh, interesting. Like, let me go back and listen to what, see, uh, brilliant marketing, brilliant marketing. So, so I, I have something I want to bring up. Um, and this is kind of relatively new. I don't have any sources. Again, this is a bullshit boulevard. So we're a little bit more loose in what we're doing, but I'm very loose. have you been seeing this new conspiracy about all the fires that are happening where it's yeah. like climate yeah. activists that have lit these fires to prove the point of climate change? So, okay. I have not heard that specifically, but I definitely have heard. Um, I've been, I've been seeing the, the, the rumblings of 
Cons- you know, the conspiratorial thinking surrounding who started the fires. A lot of the things that I've been seeing is that uh, people are spreading rumors, allegedly, that it is people, members of Antifa or people who are more affiliated with Antifa who have started the fires. And it's really interesting. I first got wind of this, uh, friends sh- uh, talking about this on Facebook, who are uh, sharing information from the Oregonian, which is the one of probably the biggest newspaper, excuse me, in the state. Um yeah, maybe not. I guess the Willamette Weekly is pretty big and then the bulletin is pretty big. But nonetheless, um, the Oregonian made a statement that said specifically to stop spreading rumors. And then they shared uh, local police data about the reports that were coming from um, local police precincts and 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 them saying not to spread rumors about who is spreading the fires. And. I guess their phone lines are being overblown, right? Is that like what it was saying in the article? Like something like their phone lines are being overran or something with all the phone I'm not I'm not sure about that, but I can imagine so. Like, you know, if people if people come to some kind of knowledge, however, however real that certain people are starting the fires and you live in Oregon and the fires are bad, you know, you would want to do something about that, right? So I can I can imagine that their that their phone lines are being inundated with those kind of calls. But I, you know, I'm a bit conflicted with this topic because I saw this post from the Oregonian, you know, like I said, who was being shared from a a friend on Facebook. And at the time I didn't think, you know, like now I think we've started to uh, make some arrests and to start, you know, not necessarily uh, right away, but getting the prosecuting rolling with some of the people who have uh, allegedly started these fires. I know one of them, uh, was this criminal, you know, I don't, I don't, again, I don't know all the details, but I know that we've, we've narrowed down some suspects and who have been starting these fires. I think even one of them, I think you even talked to me about this, Josh, like one of them uh, was doing a gender reveal party somewhere in Northern California. And he, yeah, that was in California. Yeah. yeah. And, and I believe the last time I checked on that, that they were, they were fined $8.5 million. Yeah. Yeah. Some for, they'll be for that. paying and, you know, for the rest of their lives. Yeah. Right. And that's, and I do, but also too, it's different because I do know that the fire that's close to where I am, it started because a tree fell on a transformer box. Mm, Interesting. Yeah. And so like, so that's a little bit more. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's like, that's like when I found out, I don't know if you know this, but this is wild. Like the one thing that you'll learn, you'll learn about me is like, I, I, I think the concept of insurance and the way that we handle insurance just makes no sense to me. It's like the only service that they charge you for using it, even though you pay for it. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's just interesting, but there, (laughs) there is this, like, it's called like act of God you'll claim. So we had a tree fall on our yard once. And like, if let's say like they say, if your car is parked on the street and a tree falls on it, your insurance company can be like, mm, that was an act of God. Nothing we can do out of our hands. You know, just like, that's, that's just, <laughs> it's like, wait, wait a second. Like it's interesting. It's like, how does that I'm paying for insurance? though? yeah, no, I know. I totally agree. That's so bizarre, but I guess, you know, the, to the main point here that I, you know, since you brought it up that I want to talk about is that at the time that I saw these reports, you know, that the Oregonian was sharing at the time, some of the fires who we know were, uh, were caused by people and we didn't know who caused them. It was a little strange to me that because we didn't know who they were, how can you say that the people whom started the fires, if we know that people started fires were not affiliated with Antifa. And that was like this contention that I had with somebody online actually about this, where they're saying they're like, Oh, stop, you know, like stop this bullshit. The police, this is coming directly from the police saying to stop the war, you know, to stop the rumors. I'm like, look, look, I, I get that. Like, I, I'm not trying to spread a rumor, but if we know that some of these fires have been uh, caused by people, and obviously this information that I'm talking about is, is a bit out of date, but if we knew they were caused by people and yet did not know who started them, it is reasonable to assume that there is a possibility that not only any group, you know, somebody affiliated with any group could have started the fire, but also that includes Antifa and someone who is affiliated with or is part of Antifa to start the fires. We just don't know. So you just can't eliminate that. Obviously, what, what I'm saying, you know, I think some of the new information has eliminated that possibility altogether. But I do think that the prominence to blame Antifa in something like this is really interesting. Now, what you were talking about a minute ago with climate activists and starting it, that I didn't hear. And so, and that that's actually pretty interesting. I don't know. I don't know what climate activists would start a fire to, you know, to prove their point, except I don't know, you know, people in the nineties who were burning SUVs in Eugene 
because of climate change uh, and causing arsons. I mean, there were these pretty extreme group. They were even classified as a, a classified as a domestic terror group, but by the FBI back then. This is around the time of the LA riots as well. So I'm not, you know, I'm not tr- purposely trying to be facetious here, but I can understand why people would fall into this kind of conspiratorial thinking. I don't know. What I mean, what do you what well, do you think about this? That's kind of what that was the point. I mean, I guess the reason why I'm bringing this up is not only is it topical because you and I are kind of in this situation or in the part of the world that's dealing with this, mm-hmm. you know, but at the same time, I I find it interesting that if you broaden it out and you know, we just covered QAnon and we covered all these other conspiracies, we covered like what the internet's doing and and you know, the gravity of 2020. <laughs> you know, <it's laughs> 2020 like, has its own orbit. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm just saying, like the gravity of what we've all gone through, and just the the interesting, you know, the given the basically the psychological effects of our of our you know current cultural climate, yeah. you know what's what's happening here and why, like you know, there's so much going on and there's so much angst and stress. It feels that like it's just this. I feel like there's been a rampant increase in like the acceptance of magical thinking, you know, or the the willingness to want to there to be order. So you're 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 finding and you're reaching you know, to, to, to create these conclusions that it, that just, it, they just interest me. For sure. I definitely think that people are desperate and not just, not just within 2020, right? This, I think this phenomenon has obviously been on the, on the up and up for quite some time, at least as far as I can remember, at least since nine 11, which is, you know, ironic since we just had uh nine 11's anniversary um, a few days ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, I remember, the first really big conspiracy that I heard about, and this is this, you know, the moon landing notwithstanding, uh, the first really big conspiracy uh, theory that I remember being so prominent were 9-11 truthers and the fact that people were saying that the Bush administration had, you know, paid off and, you know, the, these elders of Zion or, you know, I don't even know all the details of the conspiracy. It's just like anything. Well, ridiculous. to be fair, actually, so they actually the conspiracy. Yeah, actually, I watched a video on that because it's the same thing with the. Uh, um, oh, okay, I can't remember the Zeitgeist. It was oh, Zeitgeist yeah. that yeah. did like a big video on it. Of course, them. they did. And essentially, they were making the claim that historically speaking, every war that the U.S. has gotten into, there has been a defining moment that led us into the war. Whether that be the sinking of the uh, American like ship or sub, I think, for World War One, like the Ginnenberg, if I'm correct, um, and like that was like the main issue for World War One. Pearl Harbor, obviously, was World War Two. Um, Even though know, we were already that and. <laughs> right but yeah but of course people i mean you know, historical get, memory i guess more of what i'm saying is getting the public support you know to go to uh, and so yeah, they're trying to that, make yeah. the claim that yeah so they're trying to make the claim that like 9-11 was the event that led us you know down to with into the war of the middle east and it was all planned to like create that war for profiteers for war profiteering for sure you know it's it was just yeah and there's yeah, all back the, when i was you know, younger i was just i was just like you i was like hell yeah that makes so much sense like, you know, I was like aggressively <laughs> like, yeah, that's exactly what's going on. Wait, hold on. Were you, know, you a 9-11 truther? Is that, the, <laughs> is that what you're I telling mean, me here? I, how do I say this? I was sympathetic to it, just like you were with aliens. Like, oh, you know, for sure. Just like, like with ancient it's aliens, not yeah. that I, It's not that I, exactly. So it's not like, you know, the back of my mind, I was super definitive. But at the same time, I was like, some of the shit's making sense, I guess, to 16-year-old me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, a 16 year old, right? Mind you, you know, some of these people who are believing these conspiracy theories are in their 40s and 50s. And that's troubling. Um, Yeah, you know, it's, it is strange, because, you know, like, with 9-11, for example, obviously, you know, that was the, I don't want to say the beginning, but it was a it was a, a heavy push towards the second Gulf War and what we continue to have the longest war in America's history with the, with the war in Iraq. Uh, and uh, in Afghanistan, specifically Afghanistan. But I mean, you know, we did have the first Gulf, Gulf War where we um, the God, it was the Iraq was in, invaded Kuwait. No, I can't remember. I, I'm too I'm, I'm too young to frankly remember everything that happened back then. But, you know, it's just it is. Sure. And I know and I only like highlighted the major wars. I mean, I know there's been a few. Yeah, there's, there's been a lot of wars, that, as so. it turns out, in human history. But um, but in the 20, you know, the 21st century, there's just or 20th and 21st centuries. There have been pretty some. Uh, horrific and amazing wars that, we, that human history have, has been a part of. But as I was essentially, uh, essentially saying earlier, is that you know the the nine eleven truthers was my first sort of um, introduction into the type of conspiratorial thinking that can take people over. And I remember, God, this was probably 
you know, almost a decade out no, no, maybe a little bit less than that, maybe like seven or eight years after nine eleven, and having this conversation with a roommate and a friend of mine about the nine eleven truthers, and you know, my friend who was a little bit more conservative, like you know, he was like very in the line is like, dude, look at the video, like look what happens here, those are clearly detonations, and a friend of mine who was there who was a lot more liberal got so upset that. I mean, basically, he was accusing uh, my roommate of reducing the horrific event of 9-11 into a conspiracy theory without ever considering like the actual lives lost and the, you know, the tragedy that had befallen the United States in that time. I mean, if 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 some of our listeners are too young to remember 9-11, it was fucking insane. I mean, the president was suspended, mm-hmm. not suspended, but like, you know, his Air Force One was in the air for. 12 hours maybe maybe an entire 24 hours something like that um you know nobody knew what was going on everybody i mean like i remember you know i don't know if we talked about this on the podcast before but it was 9-11 was like my third day uh at in moving into a new city you know coming from bumfuck nowhere not having any idea about what was going on in the world moving to this new city starting in middle school um, sixth grade it's like the second or third day of school you know i've never met any of these people before you know, and I do remember just getting I, well, I woke up in the morning uh, and the TV was on and the first building had uh, had already been hit. And, you know, I saw it on the news. It's like, oh, what's you know, what's happening? Uh, it's just like, well, you know, my mom told me it's like, well, somebody threw flew a, a plane into a building. I was like, oh, oh, wow, that's intense. And then I and then I walked to school, you know, as if like my day was just, you know, nothing had happened. I was like, oh, crazy. People are Your weird. dreadlocks like no, it was no, that was in the wind that was way that was school. way before I had dreadlocks. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, but I remember getting, walking into homeroom, uh, and you know, this it's sort of like a prep class before. Um, in case people don't know, it's like a prep class before the rest of your day starts. And I remember walking into homeroom and watching sixth graders crying. I was like, what just happened? Like, what's happening? And right before I walked in, it was the, the second building that went down. And it was like, uh, you know, what's going on? You know, and these kids were just crying because obviously they were scared. They didn't know what was going on. And like these people, you know, people here, you know, they were sort of in tuned into what was going on in the rest of the world. And I'm just like this bright eyed, like country hick, basically. It was like, what the fuck is happening? Like, there's a World Trade Center. What is that? You know? What's a, I mean, I knew what a 747 was, but like, why would somebody fly a plane in the building? You know, I didn't know what was going on and to see the world sort of devolve within, you know, 24 to 48 hours. And then like now looking back on it, I mean, we have a Patriot day, you know, it's a, you know, day of remembrance for nine 11. It's just like, I mean, like I get it. Like it was an an insanely tragic event, but I'm still frankly, a little bit disconnected from it because I was just some young kid from the middle of nowhere who knew nothing about what was going on in the rest of the world. And to see that happen, it was just like, uh, okay, I guess this is the world now where people fly planes. In the yeah, I know. And, th- and this is actually kind of, you know, this is going to be difficult for me to tread here. And I just want to make it very clear that it's like, you know, what happened was tragic and a lot of families lost their lives that day. And it's definitely something that, you know, had a lot of positive, you know, benefits when it comes to like bringing us all together and kind of, you know, you know, recovering from the shock. That's like one of the main events that felt like we, we kind of reverberated as a nation, you know, we didn't feel, you know, no matter what the divide was, it kind of connected. However, you know, I, I think the one thing that, that might be interesting from your timeline of starting there is it's just like, you know, it's important to also note that there were like a lot of liberties that were kind of taken during that time. There's a lot of fear mongering done from the Big government. Time. You know, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of like, you know, terrorists and terror and terror and all these things that these words that were used. And, you know, it kind of like maybe was the seeds that kind of led to this, this, you know, weird, toxic nationalism that we're seeing, you know, in in parts of America today. And it might even be linked to this, this concept of what America is deemed and the level of hate. You know what I mean? I'm I'm not saying that like, you know, saying terrorists or they want to kill us or this, but it kind of like has morphed into a global us and them way of thinking you know and that could lead to the dangers of why people think that you know the level of hatred that has increased you know i'm not saying that those people should be sympathy of just kind of making these connections on like the ethos of of what i feel is going on from that time to lead us to where you and i are sitting here talking about it yeah for sure i mean i definitely think that that was our generation's 
turn towards that attitude, right? Because obviously, you know, like you were talking about World War II a minute ago, you know, it was the Japanese during World War II, it was the Chinese in, you know, uh, the the late 19th century and early 20th century. So it makes sense that we've, you know, we have these scapegoats for for whatever troubles or, or hatred that we, that our nation tends to have. Um, but I certainly think that it was a time where we did lose a tremendous amount of, of liberties. I mean, it's, especially when it comes to privacy, right? Uh, you know, the TSA, mind you, didn't exist before 9-11. You know, like you could, you could just get on an airplane <laughs> and fly wherever the fuck you wanted. Uh, and now it's just like you have to get a complete body scan. You know, like if you for some reason accidentally carry jewelry, you have to get cavity searched. Obviously, it's, you know, I'm being hyperbolic, you know, but it's just like I remember, you know, when I went on my honeymoon, I took I forgot to empty a water bottle and I had it in my backpack when we were going through and they're like, oh. Uh, uh, you know, my they flagged my fucking backpack. You know, I the line got held up because I totally. I'm like, what the hell is going on? Like, I don't even know. And they're like, what the hell is this? And they pull it out. I'm like, oh shit, it's my, my water bottle. They're like, yeah, you got to dump that out. You got to dump that out. You can't bring that. I'm like, it's 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 just water. They're like, no, you're not getting on the plane without dumping that out. I'm like, whoa, okay. <laughs> like, this is insane. No, I'm curious. I don't mean to, I don't mean to cut you off, but the the tone that you're taking here, I'm fascinated by this because I I feel that what you're doing here is you 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 yourself are are treading a thin line between what you think is necessary for safety and what you think is is overboard and you're judging this by your scale of annoyance. You know, and so I'm I'm curious right. to to kind of gauge here, like for you, like, do you, is there any part of you that might see the pr the practicality for having like a TSA kind of system or is it too annoying and you think that it shouldn't be a problem sure. or like for you, what do you think is the appropriate safety line, you know, versus inconvenience? Well, I definitely think, you know, yeah, it's, I mean, you're, you're certainly right. I'm definitely trading a line here and it's, it's, it's difficult for me even to parse out like where we should draw this line because Obviously, you know, airplanes, okay, well, first of all, let's say that airplanes are one of the safest ways to travel, uh, but they can be incredibly dangerous uh, if used in that way. Even if somebody was completely, you know, a benign pilot who was just doing their day-to-day -day job and for some reason – like you know this is there's for a second for a second i'm glad i heard the b because for a second i'm like imagine a canine pilot <laughs> right a just, just a imagine dog a dog flying, flying a 747 how do you think that would end yeah. uh no but you know just like two okay you know in a, in an airplane you have a pilot and a co-pilot co right uh and what if <laughs> you have a pilot and you have a copay co <laughs> jesus christ i know it's going through your mind uh but you know you have you have these two pilots and what if for some you know, some insane, you know, work of God, right, <laughs> you know, uh, happened where both of them had a heart attack and the plane f went down, you know, from seven, you know, from 17,000 feet in the air and like crash landed into the Andes Mountains. Like everybody would fucking die. And that's a horrible way to go. But like the likelihood of that happening is is pretty slim to none. Right. So uh, overall, airplanes are pretty safe to travel. And then even still. Like the way that we screen passengers now and the way that we keep track of of air traffic, you know, throughout the world, especially people who are coming into the United States from other countries, you know, like we're asking their questions they are being screened, you know, even before COVID, like we were pretty diligent bit about who is coming into the country. I mean, if if uh, listeners uh, remember, you know, back in. 2016 early 2017 when trump was you know the you know fresh president of the white house you know he had the you know the infamous muslim ban right where he was banning certain countries with majority muslim uh citizens from entering the country because of other you know so-called terrorist attacks on the in the in the country at the time uh it was also like incredibly uh debated his actions because like the countries that he banned from were largely i mean there was no uh, history of uh, violent extremists coming from those countries. And so it didn't even make sense that what he was doing, you know, notwithstanding the ban was put in place because we feared uh, terrorists coming over to here to the United States. And yet we just, we just don't see that happening on a day-to-day -day basis. Now, granted we are living in a world post existence of the TSA, right? Where we have all these insane mm -hmm. safety and privacy measures in place. And so it's hard to say whether or not, something would slip through if the TSA or something like it didn't exist. Um, so there's that counterfactual to, to deal with, but at the same time, like, I guess, you know, long, long point short here is that I don't, I would certainly prefer 
keep my privacy when I'm flying around the world, you know, if I were that type of person, um, because I just don't see why it's necessary. However, the integrity of the global flight traffic system, whatever you want to call it, is so technical and complex that I wouldn't even know where to begin to suggest like what is safe and what isn't, you know, like I can understand why certain nations don't want, you know, certain people coming into their country. Like I get it, you know, you're your own country. And, you know, if you don't want people from Azerbaijani or Azerbaijan rather coming into your country, you know, of, of, um, of Russia, for example, then I, you know, I get it. Like you're your own country. You get to decide who comes into your country. Now, whether or not that's wrong or right, you know, that's up for debate. I mean, uh, you know, if, you know, we are still sort of living in the shadow of the migrant crisis of the, you know, of the early 2010s. And if people remember that, I mean, that was a big controversy because people coming in from the Syrian civil war uh, into Europe, I mean, like we mass migration, you know, coming from out of Africa and the Middle East into Europe and, and the United States. And I don't think countries were really prepared for that sort of thing. Obviously, like that kind of mass migration, people weren't prepared for it. And especially because they were from majority Muslim country, uh, then there was that to consider as well in people's own, whether you want to call it xenophobia or just paranoia um, or skepticism, you know, we just didn't know how to deal with it. And so I don't know. I mean, I, I really don't have a good answer for you, Josh. I, I suppose like the, the most clear example, the most clear thing I could say is that like, I, I value my privacy, but in this world that we live in now, like, I just, I don't know what we could do about it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I guess that's fair. I mean, <laughs> All right, it's it kind a of long, a long winded yeah. <laughs> way of saying you have no idea, but you know, it's really funny. No, at the same time, I, I understand what you're saying. I just, I guess, I don't know. I, for me, it's, it's just trying to interpret, you know, th there's something else that's kind of going on, I guess, that I want to cover here because you kind of covered a lot there and instead of kind of breaking that down, I know we're still cautious of time and want these to be kind of more fluid, but um, I, I'm also curious to know about this, this, the, the direct of like needing, you know, somebody to either support or prop up because other people aren't. And, you know, I've been seeing a lot of, how do you say this? A lot of memes that are being saying like, you know, firefighters are the, you know, they're the ultimate heroes and, you know, they're, they're like better than everybody. And for me, I'm just like, nobody is shitting on firefighters. Like, you know, I mean, I just don't want, there, there's certain people that have been really aggressive about, you know, propping up firefighters. I'm like, nobody is saying that firefighters are not great at their yeah, job. Like, why or, do we need to you know, they, say they that? You know? Yeah. I mean, if anything, though, the one thing that did pop up that I'm kind of interested in is this, you know, what is your opinion on this, this concept of like the, you know, the firefighting of inmates and, you know, giving them a pathway to potentially make that a career choice? You know what I mean? I think that, you know, I think that's what California is about to try. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I didn't know anything about that. I mean, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, for for certain inmates who are, have committed nonviolent crimes, I mean, I can, I mean, I don't see why there would be a problem for a pathway to redemption by putting them in some type of civil service where they're required to go through, you know, certain steps in a program and graduate and make sure that they're, you know, that they have become more responsible human beings. Like, I, I don't really see a problem with that. That does, of course, you know, because like I think about these sort of things, like what is the nature of criminality. Um, but uh, we're not going to go down that rabbit hole right now. Uh, right. <laughs> you know, that's a, that's a whole episode. Um, you know, so there's things like that, but you know, even still, I can, I can see why that it would be totally reasonable to have certain inmates, um, graduate and go through some type of civil service program where they become firefighters. But I guess, you know, frankly, what's on the back of my mind here with this, because this reminds me a lot of the same the same rhetoric arounding nurses and doctors uh, with the COVID pandemic, you know, the fact that like these nurses are, you know, and doctors are heroes. Like these are the real heroes. And it is still in, in likeness with our, um, our military service members, you know, and veterans who are, you know, going overseas to fight for our country, supposedly um, who are also the heroes that we should be worshiping. And, you know, this actually, you know, what I'm about to say, actually, Josh, you you probably think that I'm a turncoat because I think that level of hero worship is kind of unrealistic because, 
I don't know. I think, you know, I think, for example, with nurses, for example, I think most nurses are probably modest enough to just be like, I'm just doing my job. I, you know, like I, I went to school for, you know, for a good few years, I studied hard and I got into a tough job, but that with a lot of rewards and I'm just here to make the world a little bit of a better place. If that makes me, if you want to call me a hero, fine. And of course I'm not a nurse, right? So I, I don't know. I don't have this perspective, but I'm just guessing that a lot of these people, like anybody else who are doing civil servant jobs, because in a way this is a civil service of whether it's being a nurse or a firefighter or a police officer, or whatever, you know, you are just doing a job at the end of the day and your job is particularly needed by the rest of the world. So I don't know, I, I you know, with firefighters, like that's an amazing job. I mean, it, and it takes, it does take a lot of courage to just roll into a, a, an area of wilderness or, or even urban areas that are inflamed and you have to somehow put it out with a group, you know, with a, a small team and hopefully, hopefully get away with your life. I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty daring. And I, I gotta say, like, I don't think I could do it. You know, now does that make all the firefighters heroes or that we should praise them at every step of the way? Maybe, but at the same time, like, I don't know, these people got into their jobs for a reason. They're passionate about it. I'm sure. Um, does that make them heroes? I don't know. Uh, well, I think, I think it's the way that you are. It's the way you, that you're looking at it or the cynicism around Maybe, yeah. it. I mean, not, I guess cynicism may not be the right word just because I understand that there are people that throw in words like worship and, and things like that. I, to me, I kind of view it as a, as a heightened appreciation. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just one of those things where that job is not easy. You know, it's, it's definitely difficult. It requires a lot of hours and focus and care. And, you know, that, that existed pre-COVID and after COVID. Right. You know what I mean? That these people are going to work as hard and same with firefighters. Like, yes, there might be less fires to fight and it might be less, you know, taxing, but they still work that hard no matter what fire that they face. And so I just think that, you know, if you look at it as a propped up of appreciation, I can understand that. I mean, especially because, you know, I've worked in the service industry for a long time and that's definitely a industry that is extremely hardworking and there's not much appreciation that is propped up to to, to that industry. So I guess that's why I kind of view Mm -hmm. it that way. You know, just because I can understand the nature of the of the side of the job, but I guess you're I can see where or I'm sympathetic to the struggles that you are saying, you know, through the idea of, I don't know, how do I put this? It's I can understand that your worry of of putting them on a pedestal and treating them like religious figures you know, and the danger yeah, that that sure. poses. It's kind of like, you know, and this is, this is not me begging for some type of um, admiration, you know, but the type of job that I work, I, I, I would say, you know, me, not personally, but my type of job is one of those essential jobs that make sure that people get what they need in their world, because so much of our world now is online and online shopping is huge. And because I, um, uh, handle, packages of of certain customers again i'm trying to you know talk around this because i can't say exactly who i work for so he's ba- i know he, he can't basically say that because it's illegal to be a prostitute so that's why he's <laughs> right yeah well josh it's a... <laughs> so anyway back to you handling other yeah, people's it's, packages. It's, josh it's also illegal to like masturbate in the street but you still do it so you know again like i it's i have one of those jobs that like I think if people would take a minute to consider it, consider it like my type of job is is essential for getting people's goods, right? Because so many people shop online, and yet company like mine, I mean, we're we're just another company. You know, people don't really think about it in that way because it is so ingrained into society. You know, the the fact that like, oh well, th- that company will be there always, and like we don't really have to worry about it. Like they're just going to be there. Um, whereas because, especially because there's no real danger in my job, like no real danger. Um, unless of course I'm driving around in uh smoke filled cities. Right. And you know, nobody I mean, there's always, I mean, like, here's the deal. If you're going to, if you're going to make a comment that like, you know, oh, we don't know who started the fire. So there's a possibility that we can't roll anybody out from starting the fire. If you're going to be in a vehicle, you cannot roll out the <laughs> yeah. fact that vehicle, like driving is just dangerous. Is. Like, you know, I mean, yes, it's not, it's not the. I think what is it? It's more of a passive danger or like a, you know, it's not a, it's not an active or a present danger. It's, it's one that has the potential to be dangerous, but there's there's still, there's still a danger in, in, you know, being out and about. But the thing is though, is like with firefighters and with nurses and doctors and police officers, like the danger is so present and very understandable. So people, you know, because, because people see, 
um, those workers and those service uh, agents, service agent is the right word, but these service workers, public service workers in, you know, work in their job, despite the danger, they're like, Oh fuck, man. Like these guys, like I couldn't do that. I'm like, well, yeah, I couldn't either, but I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that. I just think that I, I think we should be careful when it comes to who, who, you know, why we want to view certain groups of society as heroes. I understand the, the impulse for it, certainly, but you know, I, I just, I think we should evaluate that at every 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 step of the way. Well, here, let me switch topics for a little bit, but it's still in the vein of of like cultural acceptance. So I, I saw this post the other day that it, it, it proposed a thought experiment. It said, you know, we know that libraries exist, you know, so they're they're normal because we've had them for so long. But could you imagine like what do you think that the response would be? If, you know, libraries never existed and then somebody wanted to, like, make them today. That's interesting. You know, because you have to think about what is best guess. uh, Yeah, I mean, best guess. Uh, You know, uh, Josh, you realize you realize my thought (laughs) process doesn't work that way. Um, You know, because I just I guess best guess, like I would say that I don't think. People would be well because we don't know. We're not experts. It's a it's a hypothetical. Sure. It's a thought experiment. I know what a thought I mean, experiment. Like, that's why I'm telling um, you. Like, <laughs> no, I know that. What I meant though is that you also the way that you think. It's not that you don't know what it is. You don't remember that you're in one, so you have to think your way through the entire problem. Uh, yeah, you're right about that. And I guess I just think that yep. um, if if libraries never existed, uh, you know, uh, and if whether or not people would be opposed to them or not, I don't I don't see people's wanting to be opposed to it because it's like if we could put all the i guess actually you know it's interesting because we have the internet now and the internet is predicated on information being shared across the entire world um in vast quantities with vast online libraries of of data where that is you know it's collected it's transferred it's outsourced it's created it's you know not really destroyed but it can certainly be uh taken away and then brought back in some other respect. So in a way, the, the, the internet is its own library. It just doesn't function in the same way that, a, that a, a, a more concrete uh, material library works. But so I guess in today's day and age, I guess I don't see, I would, I don't think people would, would not want libraries. I think that just people would, would deem them as uh, redundant, right? Because of what the internet is. Now you could, also, you know, make the case that like, would the internet exist if, if libraries never existed, you know, because the way that we think about new problems have to do with old solutions or collective storage yeah, exactly. of information. You know? And so yeah. like, would we, would we ever think about the internet if we have never, had never created libraries? It's hard to say. Um, that's a, that's an interesting, that's an interesting practical interpretation of, of, of all this, because like for me, I guess I was kind of baiting you into this concept of, of just conspiratorial <laughs> thinking, you know, this, this idea of, you know, I, I was trying to think of what would the best conspiracy that would be for people that wouldn't want libraries, you know, it's just like, you know, is it, no, it's, it's an, it's an underground, you know, ring of, of, you know, of teaching your satanic ways, you know, would, would that <laughs> well, same sentiment be applied to libraries or, you know, what would maybe, we do? maybe you know, I could, maybe do? I could throw this at you. So famously Socrates, the, the ancient Greek philosopher who, you know, we don't actually know, you know, I don't know. I, I'm sort of in the in the in the camp that Socrates was a real person and he said many things. But uh, it, from what philosophers and historians can tell, his student uh, and the and the the other great philosopher Plato recorded all of his uh, all of Socrates's dialogues. You know, not posthumously, but like on his own. And so we don't even know if Socrates actually said anything verbatim. But Socrates famously was against the written word because he thought that if we if we started writing things down then our memories would be drastically shortened and that it would and that telling stories and and getting across information would have a type of fidelity loss because like it is so it's it's now like put into a type of rigorous process. I and I hope I'm getting this right. If there are any other philosophers out there who disagree with me, um, and I'm sure you exist, uh, please please reach out to me. But um, <laughs> but uh, you know he 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 thought that there was some type of fidelity loss when we wrote things down because you you know if you think about the way that 
you know, before writing existed, the way that stories and important information about our past was transmitted, you know, with our ancestors, it was just through word of mouth, right? And now, of course, the stories would change over time, especially depending on the person who um, who told them or where they were in time, you know, so it makes sense that even still, even then, we wouldn't have a complete accurate, uh, accurate image of, of what had been going on. But there's a type of, you know, this is this is me being, you know, more uh, philosophical here and evocative, but there's a type of spirit that comes with the written, with the with the spoken word rather than the written word, because the written word is almost when you write it down, it can't change. You know, like it's not dynamic, you know, like, of course, there's translation, you know, over different languages, you know, and there's the way that we view the words and their meaning at the time. But for the people who exist at the time when words are written, you know, I'm thinking about the things that we discuss here on this podcast and the type of kerfuffles that we've gotten into in the past or the things that I complain about, about the use of language and political correctness. It's kind of like we at least I view a lot of things in the way that such that you know, these words mean a certain thing. We should be using them in the way that we want to mean them. But of course, that's not really the way language works. Language changes over time and and, and words, you know, definitions change very, not very frequently, but they certainly change often enough, you know, from generation to generation. And so when you, when you write something down, it sort of makes it permanent in a way. And I, I guess the point that I'm getting at here is that with libraries, if libraries had never existed and, and maybe the internet had never existed and all of a sudden you want to put all this information, like all of human information into one place or several places, you know, throughout the world, I can see how if we never had had that before, especially, I mean, think about what a library is meant to do. It's meant to contain a lot of books, right? You know, if we didn't have libraries, would we have I mean, I don't know how long the concept of a library has been around for, but if we didn't have libraries, would we have books? I don't know. And so all of a sudden, like, I, you know, <laughs> I'm like okay, you see okay, where I'm going is, here? It's like you, a fucking rabbit hole. You've been going, you're, you're, you're yeah, the, well, you, I was about to say that you're going down your philosophical rabbit hole. There, you know, I know I'm being cautious of time here, but there is kind of like, I think this is kind of an interesting topic to end sure. on. The only, the only couple things I'll say is you, you made some interesting points when, so I'm, I'm actually fascinated about discussing Socrates and, and the concept of, of being against written language versus spoken language. Now I, I do agree that I think spoken language is, is a little bit easier to execute and there's definitely more uh, spices to play with, you know, for, for my theater arts background as well. This, this, I, and don't get me wrong. It's not that there isn't that with words. And, and I, I'm interested in this concept of, of permanency and the fact that words do change and, you know, you have words that we take stuff out, but language also changes written language changes. And I think for me, the fascinating part is wouldn't you agree that if it wasn't for written language, we wouldn't be able to compare the changes in our language, especially because they've learned how to write phonetic speech in a language format through symbols, you know, and, and or other standpoints. So we're able to look where even Shakespeare too, we're able to see the plays of Shakespeare, even as far back as ancient Greece, because we still have a few of those plays. So we're able to see kind of like what the language was kind of like. And it was like, it's almost an imprinted snapshot of trying to then interpret what the flexible language would be. You know, don't you think history in itself would be so much more difficult to maintain if it was only in verbal oh, form? Oh yeah, no, you're, you're not wrong about that. I think it, it certainly would be a lot more difficult because it would be, it would be this sort of amorphous, an amorphous challenge. And how do we tackle the problem of history? Right. Because history is this like it's not a concrete. There's no concrete history. Right. Because history, if you know, of course, there's always this, this famous aphorism, you know, history is written by, you know, the, the people who won the battles or won the war, you know, people. You know, yeah, exactly. The victors. Yeah. Yeah. History so, is written by the victors. Obviously, that has some type of. So all the men named Victor out there, <laughs> all the men and women named Victor out there, yeah. they're the ones. That My are name is all Victor Romanoff. I wrote the history. <laughs> yeah, um, you know it's yeah. it, it is interesting though to consider that like what we what we see in the history books is written by you know it's you know like all the history books in the United States are written by United States historians, right? who studied in the United States, the same thing with Chinese historians and Chinese history books. 
Um, and the world, we can we can never get a complete picture of the world, but we do our best by comparing and contrasting and and having written and 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 uh, written accounts of what's happened in the world. And if we didn't have that, if we didn't have a type of a formal writing system, then it would certainly be a lot more difficult. You know, maybe the, maybe the world would be a little bit more mystical if we if we lived in that world. Um, would you argue that with the internet and the, the way that everything is is shared and, and kept down and databased, it's like, couldn't you say that there's almost a, a, a higher sense of accountability because of like, you know, news stories and other things where historians can kind of like back then, it's like, if you have nothing but, you know, I guess if you're writing about ancient history, history that's not in modern time, you'd have to only look at the relics or writings or things that you find and piece together. But like, you know, if we're talking about more modern history, it's like there's newspaper articles, you know, when the news, when the printing press happened, that kind of can can collaborate, you know, what stories might be true or not. Like you might get closer to, you can never get the full picture, but I would say that the level of accuracy, maybe accountability, I would argue might be a little bit closer just due to everything going on societal wise and all the data that's being collected. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it definitely, you know, definitely helps. I just, I guess I, I mean... I don't know how to end this. I just I think that we 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 are in an interesting um location in the fact that we we already live in a world with libraries and the internet and and we have the view of of histories that we do and without that um it would certainly be a a bit of a different world. I I don't know if it would be worse. I don't know if it would be better. Um, but I do, I mean, I do think though, and to your point uh, earlier about like, you know, we wouldn't have some, we wouldn't have certain records about certain Greek, uh, tragedies if it were for people like Shakespeare. Right. And that's pretty amazing. The fact that we can like, look back to what ancient people were thinking and writing, you know, if it weren't for certain other historical figures, you know, from more recent time, I mean, I cannot tell you, right. What they yeah, were exactly. I, I cannot yeah. tell you like the like minute bullshit details that that philosophers go over when it comes to translations of certain historical you know philosophers right i you know like just being in several classes about nietzsche and reading several books on nietzsche and and from nietzsche from various different translations i mean you will have certain philosophers who get a certain translation of a book. You're like, "Mm, I don't know why they fucking translated it like that. You know what? They will just like over one word, over one word, they'll get upset about. They're like, "Mm, he didn't mean that. (laughs) And it's one of those things where it's, it's a lively debate. And it's interesting because you have to wonder like why a translator chose that particular word over another, especially when it's coming from a different language and you're trying to translate it into English, for example, because languages aren't one-to-one. You know, there's a lot of differences like with uh, German and English, for example, English is a combination of Old Norse and the Romance languages. So it has roots in Latin and and, and French, uh, but it also has roots in, in uh, the Germanic languages and like Scandinavian languages as well. And so there's a lot of similarities, you know, with English compared to like Spanish and German, for example. And so there's going to be some overlap, but there's also going to be a lot of differences. You know, there's, there's words that we share and sound alike in certain languages or others that are completely different. And you wouldn't, you couldn't guess like where they came from. And so I guess maybe the last point that I'll say here is that I do think it is a good thing that we have written accounts of the world, whether it be history or through literature or philosophy or what have you, because I think there is a, a, a better richness that we can gain uh, through the written through the written word, you know, in its creative aspects. Yeah, and what I will say is this: is doesn't matter what language. I think the one word we can all agree that is not difficult to know the translation for or to say the translation for is the word "no." <laughs> uh, yes, <laughs> I feel like nobody's going to be fighting over what type yeah, of no. That's true. No, you know, it's just no, going to be nobody. no. That means no. Yep. But no, that thanks for bearing with us, guys. I know that these are kind of loosely and fun and, and thanks for hanging out with us for an hour as as we do what we do. And, you know, it's kind of funny, too, because I always get nervous that I'm like, man, like it's been a while since we've done something unscripted. Are we really going to find something it's to talk way, about for an hour? Yeah. And then I realize I'm like, and not only is it easier than I remembered, but I, now I remembered before we even got on mic that we said 45 minutes. Right. And here we are. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know, what's <laughs> funny is in. that, you know, when we started the podcast, we just used to do this. Right. We would talk for two and a half hours mm-hmm. like our flaws in American democracy. We did not. I don't think 
I think you wanted to talk about, you know, I, that general, the, the, where the, the title came from. I wrote a, I wrote, I, right. I did you write did, a blog yeah. post about it. I did write a blog post. So I was referencing a lot of what I, what I wrote. However, you know, most of it was improv because definitely the, the what I wrote did not take two and a half hours <laughs> right. to cover. And uh, lastly, before we get out of here, I'll just say, the reason why you're hearing a bullshit boulevard and not our regularly scheduled episode is that Josh and I, so the the next big episode is coming out is our first episode on the last of us. And as our listeners will remember, I've, I've talked up that up these episodes for quite a while. It's a bit of a passion project for me. And Josh has been mm-hmm. gracious enough to, to bear with me on this, but th- I honestly feel like that's why you're stalling. You're just stalling because you really enjoy talking about the fact that the episode's <laughs> coming. And I feel like you're going to be well, sad when, and I can't talk when about you it can't anymore. do this yeah. anymore. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just go start another yep. podcast where I can. That's <laughs> right. my conspiracy. But, um, but I, I will just say that that episode, it, it is coming. It is the next episode. Um, it was just the our first the first episode, the part one of that episode was already, you know, 90, a hundred minutes long. And we had, we had gotten about halfway through the first game and talking about it. Um, so I suspect it'll be maybe another 90 minutes worth. And so we just didn't have time because Josh and I are busy, are busy fuckers. Josh and I is starting graduate school. Um, mm, I'm working yeah. like crazy. And so, you know, we want to make sure that we give you quality content. It's just taking a little bit longer. So don't worry. For those two listeners right. who are looking forward to that episode, I promise it's coming <laughs> uh, next time on the on the podcast. So, uh, with that being said, Josh, you got anything else? No, I'll just say, like, of course, as always, it's necessarybspod.com. Go ahead and check out our website. It's all of the links of where to find us. It's got all the stuff, how to check on to follow us on Twitter. And, you know, you can even subscribe straight from the website, which we're seeing new subscribers every week, which has been fantastic. But other than that, thanks so much, guys. And yeah, I'm, I'm out. We'll see Peace. you later, alligators. <laughs> <laughs> That's so just... fucking stupid. Bye. <laughs> Uh, everything that guy just says bullshit. Thank you.